something you need to understand about the Gog-Magog invasion, the only salvation of Israel is the Lord Himself stepping in. And it will be so obvious. It will not be, wow, the IDF fought well. There must have been some miraculous things going on, but it was the IDF. No, the IDF will be open-mouthed, standing there going, we're done, this is it, we're history. And God steps in, part two in our study, intervention. Intervention, verse 18. It will come about on that day when God comes against the land of Israel, declares the Lord that my fury will mount up in my anger. In my zeal, in my blazing wrath, I declare that on that day there will surely be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, and all the creeping things that creep on the earth, all the men who are on the face of the earth will shake at my presence. The mountains also will be thrown down. The steep pathways will collapse and every wall will fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against him on all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. In other words, this massive earthquake happens as Gog is invading invading with his coalition and, and things just start to get wild and the armies begin to turn their swords on each other in all the confusion and the dust and the turmoil that's going on. He says, I will, with pestilence, verse 22, and with blood I will enter into judgment with him, and I will rain on him and on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him a torrential rain with hailstones, fire, and brimstone. Okay, this is supernatural. This is a divine intervention. This is not something of man. It's much bigger than that. Well, well wait, okay, but hailstones with, mixed with fire and brimstone... Someone said volcano. It could be a volcano. could also be nuclear. could be a nuclear blast that's part of all of this. And Hal Lindsey, among others, has gone to great lengths to show modern warfare as represented in these words. But understand, even if there is a massive nuclear blast that takes place, and it's possible, it would explain the fire and the brimstone and hailstones along with the torrential rain all happening at the same time. But if that's the case, note verse 23, I will magnify myself, sanctify it myself, and make myself known in the sight of many nations. And they will know that I am the Lord. And that is the one clear message of this intervention. It's all God. It is all God. Whether there are human weapons being deployed, whether there are nuclear blasts going off, it still will be recognized when it's all said and done, by the entire earth, by the way, not just Gog and Magog, by everyone on the planet, it will be recognized that was God. He did that. He intervened and saved Israel. You might ask, why then, if this is before the tribulation period, why does the tribulation come? I mean, after all, God intervened in the world in such a magnificent and supernatural way so that everybody in the world could just see that it was the hand of God, wouldn't you think at that point the world would repent? And how many times have you heard people in the world say, well, if God would just show me, if He would just prove Himself to me, if He would just show up and do something, then I would believe in Him. Not so. I've said this before, and understand this. It is not evidence that breeds faith. You can give someone all the evidence in the world, but if they don't want to believe, they're not going to believe. 
People will stare at the evidence. The world will see this is the Lord. This was the Lord. But the tribulation doesn't come for ignorance on planet earth. It comes because of rebellion on planet earth. God doesn't say I'm going to judge the world because they don't know me. They just haven't figured it out yet. No, He judges a world that has rejected Him. And even after this magnificent intervention by the Lord God, even after the fact that the whole world says that was God, the world still stands in rebellion and says, but we don't want to worship you. As the first foray of wrath comes in the first half or the beginning stages of the tribulation, listen to what happens. Revelation chapter 6, verse 15 says the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of their wrath has come who is able to stand. What does that tell us? It tells us at the beginning of the tribulation that all of the world leaders when Jesus is pouring out the wrath of the Lamb All of the world leaders know it's Him. They recognize it's Him. But they don't repent. They're standing against God, even though He has fully revealed Himself. It's remarkable to me. Invasion, intervention. Now for tonight's impact segment. For you O'Reilly fans. Impact, number three, impact. Chapter 39, verse 1. And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. And I will turn you around, drive you on, take you up from the remotest parts of the earth, and bring you against the mountains of Israel. Notice God lures them right down there. This is God's doing. He brings them out. And I will strike your bow from your left hand and dash down your arrows from your right hand. And you will fall on, there it is again, the mountains of Israel. You and all your troops and the people who are with you. And I will give you as food to every kind of predatory bird and beast of the field. You will fall on the open field, for it is I who have spoken, declares the Lord God. And I will send fire upon Magog and those who inhabit the coastlands in safety, and they will know that I am the Lord. My holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let my holy name be profaned any more. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Behold, note this, it is coming and it shall be done, declares the Lord God. That is the day of which I have spoken. I was talking with Kelly Shalesky on Sunday morning. And she said, and I love this, Kelly. I'm thinking about this all week long. She said, I realized it's not that it can happen. It's that it must happen. Am I quoting you correctly? It has to happen. It can't not happen. This isn't a matter of, oh, well, you know, maybe we'll see this. Maybe this will take place. You know, maybe in this generation, in this generation, gang, the dry bones began to rattle. In this generation, the bones stood up and were connected and were then covered with sinews and flesh and skin. In this generation, God breathed the breath of life back into the nation of Israel. In this generation. It's not that this stuff, well, maybe it'll happen. You know what? I couldn't preach this 500 years from now. I mean, I'd be long dead, but that, that aside, <laughs> you will not 
And I'm going to say this with absolute certainty because of the word of the Lord. You will not ever know in eternity of a pastor 500 years from now sitting here talking about this as if it had not happened. You will not hear a pastor sitting in front of a congregation someday going, boy, the demise of Israel was unexpected. You know, that they're finally wiped off the planet, so I guess we were wrong, and I guess it's the next time Israel comes back. Isaiah 11, 11, God said, I'm going to do it a second time. He didn't say, I'm going to do it a third and a fourth and a fifth. I'm going to bring my people into the land a second time, which happened in 1948. This is not a maybe it will happen. We are on the timeline. And as I said Sunday morning, Ezekiel 37, we're there. Ezekiel 38 and 39, not yet. This hasn't happened yet. So we're somewhere between Ezekiel 37 and verse 28. Actually, verse 23, because verse 24 through... Yeah. We're somewhere between Ezekiel 37 and 38. This is going to happen. As God declares, it will happen. Understand this, gang. If Israel falls now, the Word of God falls. But the Word of God can't fall. It has never fallen. It has always only been proven absolutely 100% accurate. Numbers 23.19, God is not a man that He should lie, nor a son of man that He should repent. Has He said and will He not do it? Has He spoken and will He not make good? Jesus said in Matthew 24.35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but My words will not pass away. So, what is the word for Israel that tells us it will not fall? Listen to this, Isaiah 54, verse 15. If anyone fiercely assails you, it will not be from me. Whoever assails you will fall because of you, declares the Lord. Behold, I myself have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and brings out a weapon for its work, and I have created the destroyer to ruin. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me. Well, let's read on. Chapter 39. Where were we? Where did we stop there? Verse 9 of chapter 39. Uh, look back at, at verse 2. Note this again that it says, I will turn you around, drive you on, take you up from the remotest parts of the earth and bring you against the mountains of Israel. If you're reading in the King James Bible, it also includes a phrase that says, I will leave but a sixth part of thee. You might note that. That doesn't mean that God's only going to wipe out five-sixths of this invading army. I will leave but a sixth part of thee is, is kind of Hebrew vernacular for saying, I'm going to wipe you out. There's not even going to be a tenth of you left. Okay, that's what he's saying there. I'm going to wipe you out. I'm going to decimate you. And did you catch the additional people mentioned here in addition to the Magog invaders? Look at verse 6 one more time. I will send fire upon Magog and those who inhabit the coastlands in safety and they will know that I am the Lord. Coastlands, it's a word we've looked at before. It's a tiny little word in Hebrew. It's E. You can spell it if you're spelling it in English. I-Y. E. That's it. Tiny word, coastlands, and it means literally islands, but can also be translated distant continents. And so he says, I will send fire upon Magog and those who inhabit the 
E, the coastlands, the islands, the distant continents, in safety. And that phrase, in safety, understand this. It's batak in the Hebrew, and it means carelessly. It indicates living with false confidence. So he's talking about those off in these distant islands or continents who are living with false confidence. And some speculate this could be the Americas. Living over here, ah, everything's cool, we're good. We got no, I know there's war in the Middle East, but no big deal. But there's something else, I think, less speculative going on here. And it's a reason right here that many people believe, and I agree that Gog Magog comes after the church is taken home, after the rapture of the church. <coughs> Remember, it's the latter years, the Akarit Shanah. Three times in this context, God refers to the Jews as my people Israel. Note that. Verse 14 and 16 of chapter 38. Verse 7 here of chapter 39. He says, My holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel. And I will not let my holy name be profaned anymore and the nations will know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. My people Israel. He says over and over three times in the latter years he's referring to his people Israel. So? So it sounds like a post-church event. Because the only people who are His people on planet Earth are Israel. Well, why is that? Because God's people in the world are no longer the church because the church is no longer in the world. Okay, have I spelled that out clearly? God said, I'm not going to call you My people anymore. In fact, look through the book of Hosea. And He says, I am done calling you My people. But here suddenly, in these latter years, they are My people. Why? Because God's work with the church is completed. That whole uh, program of the Lord is done. The church is with Him. The church is home. The church is safe and secure. Now God turns His attention back to my people Israel. The only people on earth who are His people at the time. Verse 9, Then those who inhabit... Uh, verse 8, Behold, His coming shall be done, declares the Lord, and this is... That is the day of which I have spoken. Verse 9. Then those who inhabit the cities of Israel will go out and make fires with the weapons. Okay, this is after their destruction. And burn them, both shields and bucklers, bows and arrows, war clubs and spears. For seven years they will make fires of them. They will not take wood from the field or gather firewood from the forests, for they will make fires with the weapons. And they will take the spoil of those who despoiled them and seize the plunder of those who plundered them, declares the Lord God. A question that's been asked and was asked in previous generations quite a lot, how can shields, bucklers, bows and arrows and clubs and spears burn for seven years? You see them burning for a few months, but seven years? Well, they can if the bows are launchers and the arrows are missiles and the clubs and spears are weapons of modern warfare. And again, I say we translate what we know and what we understand. Translators in the Middle Ages might wonder how such weapons could provide seven years' worth of fuel for Israel. They could easily provide seven years' worth of fuel for Israel if they are nuclear weapons. So the weapons coming against even nuclear warheads and missiles that would ultimately and could provide fuel. Just a suggestion. Either way, this will be seven years of burning. How long is a tribulation? 
seven years. That's one of the reasons I think Gog Magog precedes the tribulation. Because if it's at the end of the tribulation, that means these weapons and warfare and, and all this stuff on the mountains of Israel would, would burn seven years into the millennial kingdom. And the Bible indicates the millennial kingdom is a time where earth is restored and beautiful and paradise-like, and I don't think we're going to have burning weaponry for the first seven years of the coming kingdom. So Gog Magog happens, and these things will burn for seven years, and I would suggest that it's during the seven-year tribulation. Verse 11. On that day I will give Gog a burial ground there in Israel, the valley of those who pass by east of the sea, and it will block off those who would pass by. So they will bury Gog with all his horde, and they will call it the valley of Hamon Gog, or the horde of Gog. For seven months the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Even all the people of Israel will bury them, and it will be to their renown on the day that I glorify myself, declares the Lord God. They will set apart men who will constantly pass through the land, burying those who are passing through, or who were passing through, even those left on the surface of the ground in order to cleanse it. At the end of seven months, they will make a search. And those who pass through the land, pass through, and anyone sees a man's bones, then he will set up a marker by it, until the barriers have buried it in the valley of Hamon Gog, and even the name of the city will be Hamonah, and they will cleanse the land. Again, Hamon Gog is hordes or multitudes of Gog, but this is really interesting. Why do they wait seven months, for one thing? They wait seven months before they begin to cleanse the land. And then when they do begin to cleanse the land, it's professionals who are going through the land and And when they go through the land, these professionals, now they're setting up markers. And we know that the bodies are going to be buried east of the sea, in other words, downwind. What does this mean? Well, perhaps it's because of radioactivity in the bodies and in the weaponry scattered throughout the land. But for some reason, the Lord declares all this 2,600 years ago, 2,500 years ago, the Lord declares that all this is going to happen and must happen, and it may be because of all the things that we've said. Uh, They even set markers by the bones, maybe little yellow radioactive signs. Don't touch this bone. (laughs) Amazing. Astounding modern equivalency in today's warfare and weaponry. Verse 17, As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to every kind of bird and every beast of the field, assemble and come and gather from every side to my sacrifice, which I'm going to sacrifice for you, as a great sacrifice on the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood. You will eat the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of the princes of the earth as though they were rams, lambs, goats, bulls, all of them fatlings of Bashan. And again, we see here a similarity. If you've read Revelation 19, a similarity to Revelation 19, verses 17 and 18, the great supper of God, Some associate it with Armageddon because of the similarity. But again, I say it can easily happen in both wars. Just because there's similarity doesn't mean it has to be the same war. And because of several other reasons, the Gog-Magog invasion, I don't believe it can be Armageddon. I've already given you a few. I'll give you a few more here. Um, Verse 19, though, going on. So you will eat fat until you are glutted and drink blood until you are drunk from my sacrifice which I sacrificed for you. You will be glutted at my table with horses and charioteers 
with mighty men and all the men of war. By the way, uh, soldiers in the IDF will refer to their tanks as chariots. With mighty men and all the men of war declares the Lord God. Verse 21, I will set my glory among the nations and all the nations will see my judgment which I have executed and my hand which I have laid on them and the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God from that day onward. The nations will know that the house of Israel went into exile for their iniquity because they acted treacherously against me. And I hid my face from them. So I gave them into the hand of their adversaries and all of them fell by the sword. According to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions, I dealt with them and I hid my face from them. Now stop there for a second. Notice this. All the nations see God's judgment. He's just declared that much. But only the house of Israel knows Him as the Lord their God. The whole world knows that God did this. Only the house of Israel turns to Him and knows that He is their Lord God from that day forward. If this is not part of the build-up to the Armageddon, how is it possible then that Israel could be fooled by Antichrist going into the tribulation. Those of you who have studied this, you know what I'm talking about. That the man of peace comes along. Daniel 9. And we're going to study that in a few weeks. Daniel chapter 9. He, He somehow talks the leaders in Israel into signing a covenant of peace. A treaty that's for seven years the length of the tribulation. Daniel 9 tells us halfway through that period of time, he reveals his real intentions. He breaks that covenant. Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that the man of peace takes the throne in the temple which has been rebuilt and declares himself to be God over all the earth. And at that point, Israel flees to a place prepared for them in the wilderness. How could they be so deceived? How could this happen? Let me give you some reasons why. The Magog invasion and Armageddon cannot be the same war. And then we'll answer that question. The Magog invasion involves a coalition of very specific invaders that we've talked about here. Armageddon involves the nations of the whole earth. All the nations, north, south, east, and west, converge in Megiddo for that great battle. The Magog invaders again come to plunder Israel. Armageddon is back kind of to the whole Arab-Israeli war concept of the utter destruction of the Jewish remnant. Daniel 11, verses 36 through 45. Again, the seven-month cleanup doesn't fit with Israel's flight into a safe place in the wilderness. Isaiah 16, verses 1 through 5, and Revelation 12, verses 6 and 14. Nor do the seven years of burning weapons fit into the beginning of the Millennial Kingdom. The Magog invasion comes onto the mountains of Israel. Armageddon is in the valley of Megiddo, which is north of the mountains of Israel. So the locations are different. Magog is led to war by Gog, perhaps a demonic principality at best. Armageddon has a ringleader we just call the beast. Antichrist, Revelation 19, verse 19 tells us. But again, back to the question I was asking. If this is not part of the build-up to Armageddon, if this is not Armageddon, how is it possible that Israel could see the hand of the Lord 
could know the deliverance of God, could even at that point, all Israel, cry out, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And trusting that the Lord is their Savior. And then still be deceived by Antichrist. How long does it take for people to be deceived? How long was Moses on the mountain before they started constructing the golden calf down below? Remember, Moses was on the mountain 40 days and came down and the calf was already up and they were already dancing. How long did it take for people to lose faith? How long does it take you and me to walk out the doors of worship on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night and find ourselves doubting whether or not God truly can get us through this world? How long does it take? And a bigger question perhaps is how can mankind at the end of a thousand year millennial kingdom with Jesus ruling and reigning in righteousness on earth, how can mankind at that point be deceived by Gog again in yet another attempt to rise up against Jesus? How is that even possible? And you know the answer. Sin is deep in the heart of man. It's not a matter of facts and evidence, it's a matter of faith. And where faith is shallow, and where faith falters, and where sin rises up, people, even believers, are deceived. And understand at this point, the people of Israel have yet to have the Holy Spirit poured out on them. That's what we read in the rest of the chapter, and we'll cover that on Sunday morning. So they don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit that you have. Man, put that in your Bible and read it. I go home. I go home with the indwelling Holy Spirit of the living God and I still rebel. Israel doesn't have that. The Gog-Magog invasion, they have proof positive that He is their God. He rescues them. Yes, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Oh, you want us to sign a covenant with peace? Uh, uh, Peace with you? Man of peace? Well, maybe he's from God. After all, the man of peace probably is involved in the building of the temple as a sign of good faith. Why not buy into this? And so they will be deceived. And I want you to remember as we conclude tonight what Paul wrote. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. He said, These things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. If Israel can fall after all of this, so can I. In fact, I was thinking about that this afternoon, and I thought, Lord, I know myself. I know. I know I'm going to fall. I think one of the shocking things for for new believers when they give their lives to Jesus, and I like to tell them this right away because I don't want I don't want people to be misinformed. You've been washed, you've been cleansed, you've given your heart to Jesus. We've taken you out of the pond. Please go home and shower. You've you've had all of this wonderful experience, but know that you may sin tomorrow. I said that to people, and they've gone, "What? Yeah." Chances are you're going to rebel. Chances are you're going to pull some dumb stunt right in God's face and you're going to feel guilty and horrible about it. Understand that His grace is huge. Understand that He forgives you and cleanses you of sins past, present, and future. 
Understand it's the Lord's grace that saves us and not ourselves. Amen. So the answer, I think, to taking heed so that we don't fall, if you don't want to fall, here, here's what you do in this world. Stop relying on yourself. Amen. Stop thinking you have the strength not to fall. You don't. Don't rely on yourself. You rely on the Lord Jesus. As Jude wrote, Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Father, there's a lot in here that is fascinating. A lot of things, Lord, that in this day and age You reveal to us and we can see and understand. We we can dip our fingers in history and pull out a lot of truths and interesting things. Even with all that, Father, there is stuff in this Gog-Magog invasion that's intriguing and curious and strange and enigmatic. Things that we don't know exactly what they're going to look like. But as we started, Lord, I say again, we're not looking for this war. We're looking for Jesus. We are looking for the salvation that comes through Your name, Lord Jesus. And I continue to pray, and it is my heart's desire, and I know I am joined by my brothers and sisters in this, that while there are still days left on this planet, You will use us in a mighty way to see people saved. Not saved by our efforts or saved by our words, but saved by the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That You will use us as mouthpieces that You will so convict our hearts of the fact that these things must happen, that we will not waste any time proclaiming the truth of Your love, Your grace, and Your mercy in Jesus. I ask You again, Lord, make the Bridge Fellowship an army fighting for truth in this world. Make the Bridge Fellowship a group of people not so concerned with ourselves, but concerned with those who are not among us tonight and concerned with those who are lost. God, we want to see salvation to the glory of Your great name. And so we pray in Jesus' name for all these things. Amen.